Era podcast. Research matters. Over the last few weeks and months, the COVID-19 pandemic has transformed the way we live, work, research, teach and learn. This series explores the impact of the pandemic on our members and on the field of educational research. Hello, my name is Michelle Jamin, and I'm a lecturer in child development and education at the University of West London. My area of research focuses on mental health and well-being and interventions and initiatives to enhance education and improve outcomes for learners. I am a convener for the Bureau of Mental Health, Wellbeing and Education, SIG, which I co-launched with Anthea Rose and Jonathan Glothart in December 2018. Like everyone listening, I have found living through the last few months tumultuous and the immediate upheaval to my work routine and personal life shocking and bewildering. In March this year, the World Health Organization, WHO, made the assessment that COVID-19 should be characterised as a pandemic. This unpredictable, fast-spreading infectious disease has caused universal anxiety and distress, all of which, according to the WHO, are natural psychological responses to the rapidly changing conditions. Forced nationwide lockdowns have been associated with acute panic obsessive behaviours, hoarding, paranoia and depression, triggered by factors such as feeling trapped and experiencing a loss of control. The sudden and near-constant stream of COVID-related news and the spread of misinformation via social media has exacerbated people's level of distress. The Director-General of the WHO described a coronavirus infodemic breeding fright and panic by spreading unchecked, mind-boggling rumours, flamboyant news propaganda and sensationalism. The impact of this public health crisis has been life-changing and the sudden and longer-term repercussions are vast and penetrate deeply across our communities. The immediate fight against COVID-19 has rightly given overriding attention to the physical health of the population. However, the mental health and well-being of individuals and the deep psychological consequences on all of us are a huge concern and have been less widely reported. Inevitably, new tides of psychological distress are yet to surface as uncertainty about the future persists and economic and social factors place additional strain on individuals, families and institutions. Within education, teaching and learning have been linked to novel stress-inducing factors such as new evaluation methods, lack of preparedness, scarce or poor, poor equipment, lack of digital competencies and inadequate institutional support. I would like to share with you some sound bites from educational professionals working in higher education across the UK. They may for some mirror your own experiences. I hope you agree. These reflections are thought-provoking and I have privileged the voices of the respondents throughout this short podcast. One immediate revelation was how adjusting to life after lockdown brought to the fore the multi-layered lives we lead and multiple roles we are accustomed to juggling. Lecturers and students may also be partners and parents, have work commitments elsewhere or hold other caring responsibilities. All of these aspects have been affected. For example, during times of stress and crisis, it's common for children to seek more attachment and be more demanding on parents. Suddenly, private and work spheres became merged. We were forced to operate entirely from the confines of our own homes. And when universities suspended in-person classes and evacuated students in response to the intensifying concerns around COVID-19, staff reported how the blurring of lines between the private sphere and the public sphere is a fundamental change. Some positive implications were mentioned regarding practice. In some ways I work more efficiently as no time is wasted on commuting and without the office distraction I can work at my own pace and when I want to. And also for well-being. 
Working from home in this nice weather means I get to walk more than I could previously, which is a great form of exercise and relaxation. I also keep in touch with a group of colleagues daily, using WhatsApp groups and weekly Zoom meetings. Positives for students were noted too. A benefit for students that the pressure to be in class at a certain time was somewhat lifted, and with many in situations that place pressure on their availability, being able to watch a lecture on demand once the children have gone to bed or with their breakfast was convenient. Using strategies to keep the work versus home distinction was highlighted as important for maintaining well-being. Things like taking proper lunch breaks, exercising and making sure the workday is set as much as possible. Some staff felt they managed this better than others. The biggest task here is living by your boundaries and not allowing other boundaryless people to shame or berate you for prioritising good mental health. And the biggest change in my daily practice is that I no longer feel that there's a true switch-off button. The swift, sometimes overnight change to online learning has raised questions about the whole learning process at a pedagogical level. While online classes and assignments have been the only effective way for continuing education in the current situation, some experts have cautioned about the potential for students and staff to feel overburdened. Some academics felt neither themselves nor their institutions were ready to embrace the flood of digital technologies. Several negative experiences were recounted and cited as affecting staff stress levels. The novelty of online teaching wore off as I realised that without adequate training, clear expectations and a specific code of conduct, I felt quite exposed, vulnerable and under pressure. I panic that I have not responded quickly enough or have been clear enough in what I have communicated online. Misinterpretation is rife. My workload has doubled as I have had to restructure my lessons and relevant activities and also learn how to handle the online delivery system. Stress levels were heightened by not being able to have face-to-face chats with colleagues. The thing I find hardest is not seeing my colleagues. My anxiety level around work is higher without this contact. Many staff felt isolated and unsupported. Academics cannot teach and students cannot learn if they are under continuous stress without actual support. And it felt that the responsibility of supporting the continuation of teaching and learning during the pandemic was entirely my own. Staff were also keenly aware of the stress some of their students were feeling and this had a knock-on effect on their own well-being. I have had a number of students who are finding lockdown very stressful. A lot of them are at home with small children and or other adults. They struggle with having the right equipment to work online and finding space in which to work. A number of students have really struggled to engage with online learning and assessments. They did not sign up for online learning and are struggling to adapt to it. And I have observed dwindling mental health from day one and it has felt like being sent to sea without a life jacket. The impact on my mental health has been momentous because I have had to enjoy emotionally charged and sensitive discussions with students about adversity, hardship and poor mental health. University students have encountered unique challenges impacting on their well-being and mental health in the wake of the COVID-19 outbreak. Before the pandemic started, one in five students experienced one or more diagnosable mental disorders worldwide. The psychological effects of COVID-19 are likely to mean an increase in this number and exacerbate existing mental health issues. A recent survey from the mental health charity Young Minds found 51% of young people with mental health needs in the UK reported that the current coronavirus pandemic and the resulting public health measures have made their mental health a bit worse, with a further 32% saying it had made their mental health much worse. Flipping the switch from in-person classes to remote learning can lead to acute stress among some students due to the lack of time for adjustment. 
However, remote learning has enabled some academic routine to be sustained, and this can benefit mental health and psychological resilience in the long run. One academic commented, Moving to an online platform enabled us to still teach, and the interactive features such as live lectures gave us a sense of connection during a very peculiar time. And, For some students who felt anxious, the safety net and the comfort of technology appears to have served them well. Nonetheless, there were several accounts of students experiencing intense feelings of frustration and anxiety. Some may struggle with loneliness and isolation because of disconnections from friends. Students will sorely be missing the social aspect that comes with being part of an education community, meeting friends, having fun and studying together. Final year students who were looking forward to donning their gowns and mortarboards will have to endure having this milestone ceremony delayed. One of the most tangible results of the COVID-19 outbreak has been a widening gap between learners. There remain thousands of learners at all rungs of the education ladder who have been told to follow online courses but do not have the means to do so. Some students lack access to a device such as a laptop or an iPad, or may belong to a large family forced to share one computer, if any at all, or may live in homes with poor internet connections. Having to deal with these barriers affects well-being, and those learners with fragile mental well-being may struggle to find the motivation to keep on learning. One academic reported, Students, especially those who were struggling to get access to the materials provided and those who were about to graduate, expressed high levels of stress and a decline in their well-being. Universities have focused extensively on enhancing online teaching and digital skills are increasingly under the magnifying glass. However, emotional intelligence, creativity and other soft skills are equally important to nurture in order to create inclusive and innovative blended learning environments and deliver high quality teaching. I thrive on being creative and do not like to do things in a straight and narrow way, but the pandemic stifled a lot of my creativity and it led to some pretty negative feelings, including anger and resentment. And active listening and having empathy is not something we naturally have, but something we do and continue to work at. There is definitely no business as usual anywhere in the world right now, and there cannot be one in the education sector. Keeping staff protected from chronic stress and poor mental health means that they will have greater capacity to fulfil their professional roles. Recommendations from the WHO include setting up a buddy system for employees to provide support and monitor stress. Time should be built into the working day for colleagues to provide social support to each other. Academics express their need for this. The thing I find hardest is not seeing my colleagues. I always found their presence reassuring and I miss them. Staff reported different strategies that they had developed to support their own well-being and manage self-care. Little changes to my routine, including self-care practices, have made all the difference and helped me to maintain my positive well-being. For example, practising yoga first thing in the morning helped me to start my day with more optimism. Taking long baths and reading novels also helped me to slow down and be more mindful. According to the WHO, this is not a sprint, it's a marathon and they underline the importance of self-care for everyone during continued uncertain times. Using coping strategies such as ensuring sufficient rest and respite during work or between shifts, eating healthy food, engaging in physical activity, and staying in contact with family and friends. They recommend maintaining regular routines and schedules as much as possible, and keeping things in perspective by seeking information updates and practical guidance at specific times during the day, from recommended sources. Also, using strategies that have worked for you in the past to manage times of stress can benefit you now. 
you're the person most likely to know how you can de-stress and you should make keeping yourself psychologically well a priority. The COVID-19 pandemic adversely affects educators and learners' mental health and well-being and underscores the urgent need to understand these challenges and concerns in order to inform effective courses of action. It is thus imperative for universities to build awareness of the mental health needs and concerns of students and staff and empower them to seek help and support. Addressing this crucial issue will facilitate academics in delivering high-quality teaching and allow students to optimise their learning experience. Hello, I'm Jonathan Glazard and I am Professor at Leeds Beckett University focusing on mental health in education. I'm one of the co-conveners of the Bira Mental Health and Wellbeing in Education SIG, um, along with my colleagues Dr Michelle Jamin um, and Dr Anthea Rose. So I'm just going to talk about um, the impact of COVID um, on young people. Um, and I'm going to use a theoretical framework called multiple and multidimensional transitions theory, which is a theory that was developed by Professor Divya Jindal Snape um, from the University of Dundee. So the theory suggests that um, when individuals go through transitions, they experience multiple transitions. Um, and these multiple transitions take place at the same time. So an individual may be experiencing um, social transitions or um, academic transitions, psychological transitions, physical transitions, um, and often the, these transitions are taking place within the same time frame. But the key thing about multiple and multidimensional transitions theory is that the theory suggests that when an individual experiences a transition, it also results in a transition for individuals who that person is connected um, to, uh, such as their friends or family, um, and it also results in transitions for the institutions that the individual is connected to. Okay, so let's think about the impact of COVID um, on children and young people. So they've experienced academic transitions. So their place of learning has changed, they're now learning at home, they're now learning online, they're not going into school. It's a different way of learning, so it's an academic transition. Okay. But they're also experiencing physical transitions, so the place where they spend their time now has changed. They're, they're staying at home. Um, they're experiencing social transitions because they're not meeting their friends or their families, their wider families. Um, and also this can impact on, on psychological transitions. So the fact that they're actually spending an awful lot of time at home and they're not meeting their friends, um, they're not getting out and doing things, they're not participating in activities because places have closed. This is also resulting um, in psychological transitions and it can lead to poor psychological well-being. So young people have had to cope with new ways of learning. They've had to cope with new places of learning. They've had to cope with um, not maintaining connections as much with their with their friends or with their wider family. So they're not seeing people um, as much. They're not able to meet with them and do things. 
They're not able to participate in clubs, etc., because places are not open. So there's been all sorts of social transitions going on. And this, these transitions, these academic transitions and, and social transitions impact on psychological transitions. So for some young people, it will have had a negative impact because they're not, they're not able to see people. They're not able to maintain that connection. Um, with key people and actually young people enjoy going to school lots of young people enjoy going to school and meeting their friends etc and meeting their teachers so for some young people this will have impacted on them psychologically so all of these transitions are taking place at the same time for these young people it's really really complex so academic transitions social transitions psychological transitions and also they've lost um They've, they've, they've lost their structure to, the, to their days. They've lost a sense of routine. Um, you know, and for some young people, um, particularly vulnerable groups, such as those who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual or trans, they have been forced to spend um, a lot of time with, with families, actually, who may not be accepting um, of their identity. So this can actually impact on their psychological well-being. So it's a really, really complex picture. And we also know that these transitions have resulted in transitions for families and for parents. Um, so they've had to get used to having their children at home. They've had to adapt to new ways of working and new ways of living and new ways of being. Um, so there's been lots and lots of um, transitions going on. And these transitions, whether they're physical or social or psychological, or cultural transitions have have actually um, sometimes been negative and sometimes been positive. So for some young people, they will have enjoyed spending more time with their with their family. They will have had more time for relaxation um, and reflection, and they will have enjoyed spending time with with their family pets, etc. And this will have been a real positive experience. Of course, young people have also had to cope with the fact that their GCSE examinations um, and their A-level examinations have been cancelled and they've worked hard for those qualifications and suddenly their hard work seems to have been um, not recognised because they've not been able to, to sit the exam um, and to get the qualification. Although they will get the qualification, it will be based on teacher assessment. Um, and some young people won't like that. Some young people will like that. Um, but for some young people, that will have caused um, poor psychological well-being because they'll be um, upset by the fact that they um, they haven't been able to sit the exam and they may be upset by the fact that their grades are based on their, will be based on their predicted grades and they may have actually worked harder um, since their mock exams and they may feel that their hard work is not going to be recognised because the predicted grade will be used to determine their grade. So it's resulted in disruption to their education. It's resulted in disruption to their social um, connections. It's resulted in um, positive and negative psychological effects. And it's resulted in changes to the way that they learn. It's resulted in a different way of learning and a different way of living. And I think there are positives and negatives that we can we can take from this. Um, so I think it's it's a complex picture, but I think we have to remember that there are young people within this 
who are extremely vulnerable, who may have actually been forced to spend more time with their friend with their families rather, and this could have actually um, caused them more stress and anxiety. But for some young people, actually spending more time online and, and maintaining, you know, if they're not actually seeing their friends, then they're connecting with them online. And if they're not seeing their support networks, such as young people who identify as LGBT, maybe they're not being able to go to groups, um, youth groups, etc., or LGBT groups, then they may have actually been forming more connections online, which will have enhanced their psychological well-being. So I think um, we can't say that the picture is all negative, but it's not all positive either. And I think young people will have been affected differently by the experiences. Um, So schools will need to consider very, very carefully how they will support these young people actually when they come back to school, going forward to actually make up for lost learning and also to support them with their psychological um, well-being. And also, I think one of the issues is that young people were not consulted about any of this. So suddenly they were going to school and everything was fine. And then literally the next day they were told, oh, you're not going to school anymore. Everything's changing. You're going to be learning online. And by the way, you won't be doing your exams. And actually there was no consultation with young people. There was no consultation with teachers. And therefore children were denied any say or any agency in the decisions Um, that were made. So I think it's really important that going forward, young people have a say um, in these decisions. Thanks for listening to the Beera podcast. For the latest news on Beera events and activities, visit www.beera.ac.uk.